Tuesday. Time for some jazz. I hope you're doing well on this wonderful day, wherever you are in the world. I apologize that I was not able to record on Sunday. Life got kind of busy for me. And I was completely exhausted. (laughs) It's been that way for the last few weeks, uh, working quite a lot. Nevertheless, I shan't complain as I am lucky enough to still be working. For how much longer, we don't know as things are changing rapidly on a daily basis. So, enough about me. This show is about jazz. Five artists on tap today, as always. Today I'm going to start the show off with a gentleman by the name of Lou Donaldson, who is uh, 93 years of age. He'll be celebrating his 94th birthday on November 1st of 2020. And although he did retire in 2016, rumor has it he pops in and plays the odd gig here and there on the side in the back of the room, kind of quiet and out of the way where no one knows he's actually there. The piece I've selected for today is from his 1958 recording, Blues Walk, which is his undisputed masterpiece. So, let's just start enjoying the music right away, shall we? From Lou Donaldson's masterpiece of 1958, this is Blues Walk. Thank you. 
great Lou Donaldson, the hard bop master. Bebop as well, of course, but more of a hard bop player than anything else. He was, of course, influenced by the great Charlie Parker, as were most of his contemporary musicians in that time era. I mistakenly earlier said he return, returned to Greenboro, where he grew up. Uh, he didn't grow up in Greenboro. He, he grew up in Baden, North Carolina, but he uh, went to university at Greenboro. Greensboro, sorry, Greensboro. Oh, my goodness gracious, some days I make a lot of mistakes. It's only Tuesday. Let's hang in tight. We can get there. The weekend will be here soon enough. <laughs> so after uh, leaving the Navy post-World War II. Like I said, he went to Greensboro and formed a band with some uh, individuals that he was in the Navy with. Uh, some, of course, were uh, uh, North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University students as well. They had served in the Navy with him. So they got together and uh, recorded a soundtrack to a musical comedy featurette titled Pitch a Boogie Woogie. And that was in 1947. I guess uh, the film was restored by the American Film Institute in 1985 and uh, was re-released in, in small uh, sort of repertory theater style. But um, I guess that the film was, was quite instrumental in, in uh, encouraging and in... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Sort of helping others along in there creative endeavors when it pertains to jazz. Yeah, there's a, a concert, uh, a short piece of concert footage, uh, I guess included on the re-release of the film. Uh, and it's included in the documentary about the film. So his first real recordings, um, outside of that, of course, were with um, Charlie Singleton Orchestra in 1950. And then... Uh, he recorded with Milt Jackson, Thelonious Monk, Horace Silver, and Art Blakey. He also recorded with, um, I guess, uh, Philly Jones and Clifford Brown. And when he was a member of Art Blakey's quintet, he appeared on some of their best-regarded albums, in including, I guess, the two that re recorded in Birdland in February of 54, Night at Birdland. Now, he did retire, as I said, in 2016 at the age of 90, but he does, I'm told, pop in from time to time to play, you know, just to keep it up to date, I guess. His last album, I guess, was released in 1995, but his absolute masterpiece, without question, is Blues Walk. So, let's move it along, shall we, just a little bit? Uh, another hard bop artist who was also into soul jazz, modal jazz, and eventually jazz rock. Uh, also an American jazz saxophone, jazz alto saxophonist, I should say. And uh, quite literally a genius. And has recorded with virtually everyone in the jazz world. Of course, I'm speaking about the late, great Cannonball Adderley. Now, this particular recording, well, this is from his album Something Else, which was recorded in 1958. I just really love the way this song floats along. It's, well, it's as cool as a title as ever there could be. This is one for Daddy-O from the album Something Else. Cannonball Adderley featuring, featuring Miles Davis, Hank Jones... Sam Jones and Art Blakey. <laughs> Thank you. 
Something else, uh, Cannonball Adderley, 1958. That song was written by his brother, Matt Adderley. And it's one of the few recordings that Miles Davis was featured on as a sideman instead of a solo artist. Matt Adderley, written that song, I guess. Uh, it was written for Chicago radio DJ Holmes Daddio Daly. And at the end of the track, that was, of course, Miles Davis addressing uh, the producer, Alfred Lyon. Of course, uh, Julian uh, Cannonball Adderley passed away in 1975 at the age of only 46. Such a young man, and he had so much music left in him. My goodness gracious, what a, what a shame. He, 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 had a, um, he had suffered a stroke from a cerebral hemorrhage, and... Uh, I guess four weeks after that, he passed away, August 8th, 1975. Like I said, he was only 46 years old. His influence is still felt today. When you can get Miles Davis to be your side man, that's got to mean, wow, you've got some skills, kid. So yeah, that record's something else. Um, it really is something else. Okay, that was a terrible sort of play on words, but it honestly is a great, great record. That was a remastered version by uh, Rudy Van Gelder, remastered, I guess, in 1998, to the best of my knowledge. It's uh, quite an improvement over the original, as they were able to eliminate some of the tapists that was heard at the time. Of course, Rudy Van Gelder died in 90, uh, 2016 at the age of 91. And his uh, mastery of the studio as both an engineer and producer is very much felt today. So in case you hadn't noticed, uh, I'm going to point it out to you because I'm a little frustrated at the moment. I'm having a few technical issues today in Studio A of Polly's World. Sometimes things like that do happen. But as long as you can hear the music, that's all that really matters. So, to that end... I'm going to now play a song from Mr. Lee Morgan, recorded in uh, 1963. The title of the composition is The Sidewinder, and it's also from the album of the same name. It's, uh, it's very much become a jazz standard. And, well, quite frankly, it's influenced kind of everybody in the jazz world since that day. Recorded at the Rudy Van Gelder Studio, or just the Van Gelder Studio in Englewood Cliffs. The soul jazz version of The Sidewinder by Lee Morgan. <laughs> Thank you. 
the late great Edward Lee Morgan with the Sidewinder recorded in 1964. That actually became a hit for him, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly because it's rare for a 10-minute jazz recording to become a hit. And nevertheless, it did. It was featured uh, in a, a Chrysler automobile commercial during the World Series, and they did so without his permission. They had played the commercial several times throughout the World Series, and when he discovered it, he threatened to sue them, so they uh, immediately stopped airing the commercial and settled with him out of court. I wonder what the commercial applications for that song is worth today. Again, recorded in 1964, and although he was a bebop and hardbop player, that's been described as a boogaloo beat. A boogaloo beat has a whole different meaning today for those of you who work in counterterrorism. But that's a story for another day and another show, because this is all about the jazz. So Mr. Lee Morgan, of course, was murdered in 1972 outside of Slug Saloon, or sorry, at the bar in Slug Saloon, I should say, in Manhattan. Uh, by his wife, well, his common-law wife, as she was then known. Now, the bar had been operating in uh, Manhattan's East Village from the mid-60s to about 1972 in a rather run-down area part of town. And uh, basically, you know, when, when one of the world's greatest uh, jazz musicians is murdered at the bar by his wife, who shoots him dead... I think your bar is probably not going to last for a long time. Matter of fact, they actually had to draw the, <laughs> drop the name Saloon from the bar. You see, in New York City, it was complicated. Um, the way their liquor license worked, uh, they, did, they simply weren't allowed to have the title of Saloon in the name of the bar. New York City has some very unique liquor licenses. At one point in time, you couldn't dance or perform music if you didn't have a cabaret license. You could serve alcohol, but you couldn't have music playing. It's very strange. Some rather outdated laws, um, if you ask me. And I live in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, where our liquor laws are still in the 19th century. They're slowly changing, but... We've got a ways to go to catch up to the rest of the world. Slugs just became known as Slugs in the Far East to do its uh, easterly location in the East Village. I guess it was uh, one of those narrow bars that you see throughout New York and the Manhattan area, if you've ever been. And if not, you can find those throughout the city of Toronto. Not so much here in Ottawa, because we're a different type of town, but there's been a couple of good jazz haunts in this city throughout the days. Of course, one of my favorites closed recently due to COVID. And I will drink a glass of wine in honor of vineyards. So Lee Morgan, uh, as I said, he was an instrument, instrumental and influential musician. <laughs> a great trumpet player. And, oh my goodness, what happened to my computer? It just went haywire on me there. He, uh, he was actually, in his late teens, he recorded with John Coltrane on jo John Coltrane's seminal album, Blue Train, in 1957. Now, the, the song Sidewinder, again, which was a hit for him, a bit of a crossover hit on the R&B and pop charts in 1964, Sidewinder was not named after the snake. Now, there's a type of snake called the Sidewinder, for those of you who may not be aware. Sidewinder for Mr. Morgan was referring to the bad guy you'd see in a Western. So, there you have it. Mr. Edward Lee Morgan died at the age of 33, being shot by his um, common-law wife. There is a documentary about them. Um, you can find it if you search for it. Let's see if I can find the title here for you. Um, I, I saw a clip of it a few years back. It's um, It was a documentary film shot in 2016 titled I Called Him Morgan by Swedish filmmaker Casper Collin. 
uh, I guess it was theatrically, theatrically released in the United States, but I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what kind of numbers it did. It's a documentary, so it's not going to be big, big dollars. It's it's not designed to do that. It's designed to tell a story. I guess New York Times uh, film critic A.O. Scott called the film uh, a delicate human drama about love, ambition, and the glories of music. Indeed. Coincidentally, Lee Morgan's first album under the Blue Note label was titled Lee Morgan, Indeed. It's a word I use a lot and I like a lot, indeed. So, let's play a song from, um, well, Mr. Joe Henderson. And I don't know if I've played anything by Joe up, up till today, to be honest with you. He passed away in 2001 when he was 64 years of age, but I don't I don't think I've played anything by Joe Henderson before. I'd have to check my playlist. It's, maybe I have. The memory's a little bit uh, slippery today. It was a strange work day, a lot of running around, and I thought I'd do some winding down by speaking into the microphone and playing you fine, wonderful people some jazz. But I think that cappuccino I had at lunch has probably still got me bouncing off the walls because, quite frankly, I have way too much energy for jazz at the moment. Nevertheless, I shall prevail and play some songs for you. So, from the album Mode for Joe, recorded in 1966, this is the song Mode for Joe. Thank you. 
1966 recording mode for Joe that's mode for Joe Joe Henderson of course uh, that record is, has been called one of his uh, finest examples of modern jazz as its best and one of his most intriguing albums that album did feature Joe Chambers on drums um, Curtis Fuller on trombone Lee Morgan on trumpet and Bobby Hutcherson on the vibes well, quite honestly, um, I think it's my, probably my favorite recording by Joe. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. Um, I've listened to most of what he's recorded, uh, or you know, what is available to me for me to hear, of course. Uh, I'm certain there's some recordings of his that he was on other artists' Albums that are just simply not available anymore, unfortunately. But everything I've heard from him, to me, that that's just simply my favorite. I like the way it just swings. It's more of a hard bop style, but he was a jazz fusion and soul jazz artist as well. Originally from Lima, Ohio, he came from a large family. 
five sisters and nine brothers. Fifteen children. Makes one wonder if his family was Catholic and Irish. Okay, that was a bit of a joke. If anybody's offended, I apologize. I'm an Irish Catholic, you see. So, uh, Joe spent, uh, I guess, a couple years in the Army um, back in the early 60s, 60 to 62, and um, he won uh, first place in a, in a, um, a talent show while he was in the Army, and he was chosen to do a world tour to entertain soldiers. I guess when he was in Paris, he met up with uh, Kenny Drew and Kenny Clark, and uh, that's when they started to really start writing some things together. They recorded with Dexter Gordon, Dexter, sorry, <laughs> Dexter Gordon at Birdland. I tried to meld two words together: Dexter Gordon and Birdland. Dexter Gordland. <laughs> uh, really shouldn't have had that cappuccino at lunch today. Of course, I've um, I played a song uh, for you in the past from Horace Silver called "Song for My Father." Uh, he he was the individual who recorded the solo on that particular song. So Joe was been a very influential individual. He was with uh, Blue Note and Milestone Records. Now, sadly, he passed away at the age of 64 in 2001 after a very long battle with emphysema. He died in uh, Cali- uh, San Francisco, California. I think we all know where San Francisco is. And if you don't, now you do. Okay, because I'm struggling and I've had too much caffeine today, I'm going to play uh, one final composition uh, by a gentleman who is very, thankfully, still very much alive. Um, now, I, I, don't, I don't have any information to ascertain whether or not he is still playing, um, but I guess he recorded an album in 2018, so... Uh, I'm going to assume that he still plays the odd live gig from here and there. Nevertheless, uh, from his 1961 album, or sorry, 1964 recording, released in 66, okay, um, and the album cover features his wife, who he had met in 61. Gotta get the dates straight. This is um, from the album uh, Speak No Evil, This is Speak No Evil, Mr. Wayne Shorter.
Speak No Evil, Wayne Shorter. What a monumental, monumental masterpiece of jazz. If you're not familiar with Mr. Wayne Shorter, you absolutely should be. That recording um, from 19, well, 64 was when it was recorded and released in 66, has become um, not just a jazz standard, but a, a, as I said, a monumental masterpiece. You need to understand that, um, well, let me, let me try and spell it out for you. If, you. if you're not familiar with Wayne Shorter, let me tell you of two, uh, what two of his major contemporaries had to say about him. Herbie Hancock said of uh, Shorter's tenure with the uh, Miles Davis' uh, second great quintet, uh, and, and I quote, The master writer to me in that group was Wayne Shorter. He still is a master. Wayne was one of the few people who brought music to Miles that didn't get changed. That's true. Miles Davis had this to say about Wayne. He's a real composer. He writes, scores, writes the parts for everybody just as he wants them to sound. Wayne also brought in kind of a curiosity about working with musical rules. If they didn't work, then he broke them. But with musical sense, he understood that freedom in music was the ability to know the rules in order to bend them to your own satisfaction and taste. The high praise indeed from two of the most monumental artists in jazz, Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis. The list of awards that Wayne Shorter has is, it's, it's ridiculous, my goodness gracious. Um, he has 11 Grammys. 11. <laughs> uh, who else has that? I, I honestly don't know. Uh, he's won the Polar Music Prize. He, um, <laughs> Lifetime Achievement Awards. Um, he has, I think, five of them. <laughs> He's a member of the Guggenheim, Guggenheim Fellowship. Uh, he's the only jazz artist to receive the honor in the year 2016 uh, in, in the field of music composition of the Guggenheim uh, Fellowship. Uh, in 2013, he received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Thelonious Monk Institute of Jazz. I mean, this man is a absolute towering monster of a jazz artist. If you're not familiar with his work, I... I cannot rec him, recommend him nearly enough. He has a massive catalog, and I suggest you have a listen. Starting from, uh, well, I guess 1959 was when his first record was released, and it was uh, titled uh, Introducing Wayne Shorter. His awards, well, they go back from 1962 onwards. Uh, like I said, he's 11 Grammys. He's the NEA Jazz Masters Award. Honorary Doctorate, Doctorate of Music from the Berkeley College of Music, the Polar Music Prize, Jazz, Jazz Grammy Award for Best Jazz Instrumental Solo for Orbits on his Without a Net album in 2014. I mean, the man is just a monster of a player. And thankfully, he's still very much with us. Now, I understand that he's had some health problems over the last few years. I mean, uh, he's... You know, he was recording for seven years, and he, he's currently retired. But, you know, as his health permits, he, he continues to compose. And uh, I guess he's become more of an operatic composer as of late. Don't know if he's playing anywhere lately, but then again, who is? Okay. So, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Uh, my apologies for being so hyped up today. I'm not the mellow jazz guy. I should be on a jazz show, but I just wanted to really put out a show and play some music. So there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's uh, program and discovered something new. Until we meet again, my friends, take care. Bye.